Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Well, we had basketball last night. Good basketball, LeBron. Bad basketball, Utah State Aggies. And weird basketball. Absolutely nuts. It was just crazy. I'm looking at you, Denver, especially Jamal Murray. What are you doing, Jamal Murray? I know I shouldn't laugh, but it's always funny when someone else gets hit in the boys. You know? That's, I don't know what to tell you. You can be at a softball game and there's a bad hop grounder and one of your teammates goes down and guys start giggling. I, I, we're all 12-year-olds. I don't know what to tell you. So Jamal Murray, uh, so Denver's playing Dallas. And Jamal Murray's on the left side and it looks like he wants to cut kind of along the baseline or something. And he and the defender kind of come together and he falls backwards and catches himself with his arms. And uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was the guy he crashed into. And clearly he thought that Hardaway, you know, was kind of a cheap shot, kind of a body block deal. And as he gets up with his left arm, he kind of grabs him around the waist or a little lower. And then with his right arm, he swings right up into the, yes, into the man zone. Hit him in the boys. The family jewels. Now, there was a time before every game was on TV when you can get away with that. And believe it or not, the Jazz weren't even televising every game until somewhere in the 90s, into the mid-90s. And so there was a time if games aren't on TV, maybe you get away with it. But now, every game is on TV. And we now have instant replay. And if the refs don't, if the refs miss it, if they don't see it, which with three refs shouldn't happen. And by the way, in this game, the ref on the baseline saw it. He had a great view, and he saw it. So did the whole bench. Guys were jumping up. Hey, did you see that? Hey, you can't do that. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, and then they went over and reviewed it and upgraded it and kicked him out. And what are you doing? You got to win the game, Jamal. <laughs> Come on. I was like, junior high. You can't hit another guy there. What are you doing? <sighs> you know, you take a name, you take a number, and later on, there'll be a chance when you're driving to the hoop, maybe with a knee. You can't get up and just punch him below the belt. What are you doing, Jamal? So you got kicked out. And then Denver won the game anyway. It was you know, Dallas. You thought that might be an opportunity to win it, but no. No. Uh, another NBA game to tell you about would be the Lakers uh, because the Jazz are chasing them. They both have uh, four losses, but the Lakers now get their 14th win in our game in front of the Jazz. Uh, the Lakers beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 115-108. to LeBron James going home, and he was geeked up for it. It's not like there was a sellout crowd ready to cheer him or boo him or anything at all. Um, it, uh, watching the highlights, they had a lot of cutouts down close. There may have been some people up high. I wasn't clear on that. Maybe those are cutouts, too. I don't know. But whatever, LeBron put on a show. For whoever was watching on TV or listening on the radio or whatever, LeBron went off. 46 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. Blocked a couple shots, had a couple steals, too. Uh, so efficient shooting the ball. This wasn't 46, point, uh, 46 points on 45 shots. Uh-uh. LeBron was 19 of 26. And that is about 73%, something like 74%, somewhere in there. And then he was 7 of 11 from 3, which is 63%. So, yeah, he shot 63% from the arc and 73% from the floor. He crushed it. He only shot two free throws. He wasn't getting a bunch of calls and padding his numbers. It was, uh, he, he was a man among boys, man. He watched those highlights. He just did whatever he wanted. If he wanted to score from 3, he did it. If he wanted to go to the free throw line, hit a mid-range jumper, he did it. I mean, it just... It just Anything he wanted, he went and did it. So the Lakers get the win, and they're now a game in front of the Jazz, pending the Jazz game tonight. Uh, The Jazz tonight are going to play the New York Knicks at home, and we'll see if they can get their ninth straight win and keep pace uh, with the Lakers, who are on on a nice little roll right here. 
All right, and then there's the college basketball. Utah State, I was convinced they were going to win in UNLV, and I was wrong. I had seen UNLV earlier this year and thought, they're not very good. And I called someone and talked to them, someone who knows more about college basketball than me, and they said, yeah, UNLV, they're, they're not very good. They're not very good at all. Um, but uh, <laughs> they, they won. And they've now won five in a row. Now, two of them are against lower-level kind of NAI teams. Uh, they beat New Mexico twice. They lost to CSU twice. I just didn't think – I didn't know how they were going to score. I think Utah State's too good defensively. And Utah State held them at 59 points and still couldn't get the win. They got beat 59-56. They went long stretches without scoring. The second half, the score in the second half was 22-20. to I mean, you're down – Utah State's down five at the half. <clears throat> they didn't finish the half well. But – they hold UNLV to 20 points in the second half. you got to think they're going to win that game. 20 points in 20 minutes. You're going to win that game. And no, Utah State only scored 22. They went long stretches without scoring. Kata had eight points on three of nine shooting. How? Why? How? What? Brock, Brock Miller only took three shots in 30 minutes. How? I mean, it's, I know they were out of sorts. The bench, the bench was a combined two of 13. Yikes! I mean, it was a disaster everywhere. They shot 33%. The thing is, they almost won the game. UNLV late. <laughs> Utah State's pressing in a three-point game. They got a full-court press on. And the Rebels throw it over the top. And this kid goes up. And instead of just laying it in and putting him up five and pretty much ice in the game, he tries to dunk it. And he missed it. And the Aggies got the rebound. And then later, they had another dunk attempt. And they traveled. And they made the dunk, but it didn't matter because they traveled. And they showed the replay. Clearly traveled. And then they got away with another travel in the last 20 seconds when the Aggies were pressing full court. And they showed the replay. And it was a hop and a step landing and then a pivot and then slide both feet. Oh, my gosh. College basketball fans can never complain about the travels not getting called in the NBA. He was just all over the floor. Both announcers are going nuts live before they showed the replay. But it didn't matter. Utah State, you gotta you gotta put the biscuit in the basket. You gotta score, and they couldn't do it. All right, DJ and PK, we got football coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Jimmy's Flowers. Reminding you, Valentine's Day, not far away, less than three weeks now. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers is a longtime partner with The Zone. Make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. Valentine's is on a Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. It's time to welcome in Jason Cole, longtime NFL reporter, based in Florida, author of seven books. Jason, welcome back to the show. It is great to be here. What can I uh, what can I help you with? <laughs> well, there are many, many NFL storylines to talk about. But watching the Green Bay Tampa Bay NFC title game, 
Uh, and, and of course, I was on Twitter at the same time. And I, I get that Twitter is there to crack people up. And so, of course, there's going to be Belichick memes as the Bucks go screaming out to the 28-10 to 10 lead. And I know the storyline, but I find the whole thing to be bogus. Brady's going to his 10th Super Bowl, and that's an awesome storyline and an awesome stat. It's unbelievable. But Brady wasn't going to a 10th Super Bowl in New England if those two stayed together. New England had free agent losses. New England had guys opting out. New England had dead money on the cap. I don't know that New England could have beaten Buffalo to win that division, and there's no chance they would have beaten the Bills and the Chiefs in back-to-back games to go to a Super Bowl. So the whole notion of uh, Belichick let it blew it by letting Brady go, or Brady won and proved he's better than Belichick, I find that whole storyline crazily, oddly, wildly misplaced. Uh, I would here's that where I would differ with you, and that is yes, if the if you put the Patriots together as is over the last couple of years, no, they don't go like and and he wasn't going to take this year's Patriots team mm-hmm. to a Super Bowl, and just like he didn't take the the 2019 version to a Super Bowl because they were too depleted, right? I think there's a case here that. There was an expectation among a lot of people in New England that was fed by this whole aura of it's more Belichick than it is Brady, right? And that Brady's just a system quarterback that you could replace Brady. And let me just say this as an aside, Josh McDaniels is a big believer in that system quarterback theory that you – that Brady should have been able to make these other guys better and because he wasn't, he was starting to decline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would, my counter would be, look, the guys that he, they put around him were just substandard. And if they had found a better plan for surrounding him with better guys and, you know, finding a transition from Gronkowski to a real tight end or all these other things that we talk about, Brady is still capable, as he has shown now, of taking you to a Super Bowl. But you had to basically bite the bullet and be willing to go and build around the quarterback and make life easier for him. So Brady's, I think Brady's still the answer. And Belichick made, I think, a poor choice by not riding out the rest of his career. Um, but probably not a poor choice if you're not going to help the quarterback out. And Brady and Belichick wasn't helping the quarterback out you know, the last couple of years. So when you look at Tampa Bay, they, of the two teams, they would be the more surprised to be this far. How much do you think that, to a degree, the Buccaneers were sort of pacing themselves as they go with a veteran team and some new players to make sure they were playing their best ball when the playoffs hit? I don't think that this is – like, I don't think this is a pacing, like – um, this is not like a swimmer getting ready for a major meet and you're like, you know, pacing your body and getting it ready um, <laughs> to, to go compete in the Olympics or something like that. I think this is more like it just it took a while for everybody to get on the same page. You know, when you're talking about not having an offseason um, in, in a real sense, not having training camp in a real sense, and you're trying to get a new quarterback you know, get the timing together with guys like Mike Evans or Godwin. And then you bring in Antonio Brown in the middle of the season. You got Miller, the Johnson, Ty Johnson kid. You don't really have a running back who's a consistent pass catcher. And the tight ends as well. Like, all this stuff going on. There were a lot of moving parts to the season. I just think it took a lot of time for them to get on the same page. And you saw it come together 
in the second half of the season that this was a much better team, much more on page, especially Evans and Brady, which that's the key to everything. Now, there are some problems with what they do in their passing game still, but I think that's a function of talent, not as much a function of them not being on the same page the way it was in the first half of the season. I don't want to overlook the fact that the Bucks played well enough to win the game because that's the most important thing. But Brady threw three picks. The defense got beat deep. Evans had a glaring drop. Other guys had drops as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. that, that was not even close to a perfect game, but it was good mm-hmm. enough to win at Lambeau Field. So let's give him credit for that. But don't they have to play much better to beat the Chiefs? Oh, yeah. They have to play a perfect game to beat the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs are... <laughs> The Chiefs are absurdly better than everybody else. Like, they've been sleepwalking for the past, like, three months through this season. You know, yesterday was an example of them playing one of their sharper games. And it's probably the sharpest game that they have played since that was that Monday night game. This season's such a blur, it's hard for me to remember. The Monday night game against Baltimore, where they went into Baltimore and they said, oh, yeah, that, that Lamar Jackson stuff, that, that's cute. Um, this is how we really play football. Um, and they just destroyed the Ravens. And then, again, sleepwalk through the rest of the season. You know, a couple of bad, you know, kind of ugly games against the Raiders because Gruden gets geeked up about it. Atlanta, they barely get by. You know, all these, you know, they the Dolphins game, they're behind early, and then they go on a spree, take control of the game, and then Dolphins come back. Like, it's one game after another where you're like, that's not a sharp football team. Yesterday was a sharp football team. Um, with the exception of the, of the you know the botched um, you know punt by you know by Hardman, which you know gave away a touchdown, they played really incredible football yesterday and, and really precise. So to get back to your point, does Tampa have a, a great chance in this game? No, I think that at best they probably win one out of five times. If if you're if both teams played five times, you get maybe one Buccaneer victory. That's how much better the Chiefs are. The question is, is that one going to happen on Super Bowl Sunday? It could. You know, like Shaq Barrett and JPP could present a problem for the offensive tackles for the Chiefs, right, and really hem in Mahomes and force him to do some different things and keep him in the pocket and keep him from escaping. That that seriously could happen. You know, uh, Vita Vea was, was terrific, I thought, crashing the pocket. So I saw some things that can give Mahomes problems. But look, they got the the Chiefs have the best quarterback in the league. They have the best wide receiver in the league. They have the best tight end by far in the league, right? And then they have the best coach in the league right now, um, who's still in the playoffs. I mean, Belichick's the only guy who who can match wits with Andy Reid at this point in time. So you have, you have those four things going into a Super Bowl. You're an overwhelming favorite. So you speak of Andy Reid, best coach that's still coaching in the postseason. I don't think anybody would argue on that. I read a stat where he's 62, and if you compare Belichick at 62, Andy Reid, I think, had like five more wins. He seems to be having the time of his life coaching the Chiefs right now, and at 62 he's been doing it for a while, but the point being that it doesn't look like he's interested in stepping aside. Uh, Where's Andy Reid going with this? Going back to work tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm talking <laughs> legacy, legacy wise. Well, legacy wise, I mean, look, if you win back to back Super Bowls, 
I mean, you know, but I think he's already, I'm a Hall of Fame selector. If you put uh, Andy Reid in front of me, yeah, I'd want to make sure I heard the arguments through and double-checked it and compare him to everybody and stuff like that. But, like, I think he's a Hall of Fame coach, right? I think he's, I think he's there. Um, and I don't think the debate is very long. It's just, like, again, sort of dotting I's, crossing T's to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at everything correctly. Because I haven't really studied the case or studied the other coaches who went in the Hall of Fame right away. So I think it's a little, it's a little bit, um, you know, it's not quite done. But if he wins a back-to-back Super Bowl, then, like, there's no more, there's no more debate. And I think that there is, as you said, like, he's 62, but this is, this is his purpose in life. This is what he loves to do. I mean, he still wakes up at 3.45 in the morning or whatever ungodly hour because he wants to get to work. Um, you know, he, he's the guy who in Philadelphia was pulling all nighters all the time and enjoying it, like not doing it because there was this sort of George Patton blood and guts. This is what we do mentality. You know, uh, you know, I've talked to Juan Castillo, who's his longtime offensive line coach in, in Philadelphia. And he talked about, you know, Andy would come in at midnight or one o'clock in the morning, grab a, a fistful of corn nuts from, uh, from you know Juan's stash of corn nuts, and they'd sit there and they'd just kind of BS for fifteen or twenty minutes. They'd start talking ball, and Andy would get a little smile on his face and go, "Hey Juan, want to pull an all nighter?" And they would just stay there the entire time. And just you know, this is this is his passion. This is what uh, he was born to do. I don't think there's any drudgery to it. He never gets tired of it, and he's a very unique human being in that way because it is pure joy for him. So I just read a story on the whole uh, how they ended up drafting Mahomes, how they ended up spotting him, how they ended up trading up to get him, and all they had to go through to get that. And one of the things that came through in that is that they wanted someone special. They didn't want a system quarterback. And I'm intrigued by what you said earlier about the Patriots and the system quarterback. It's not that you can't win a Super Bowl with a system quarterback, because you can. I think we can all list... uh, four or five guys in the last 20 years who aren't Hall of Famers who, who won Super Bowls, so you can sure. do it. But Andy Reid lost a lot of NFC title games in a row 15 years ago, and I think if he'd had a special quarterback, he would have won some of those and won some Super Bowls, and now he's got one. So, And, and in the story, it said they were constantly on the lookout for someone who was the guy. And they well, got they thought, they thought McNabb was the guy. And he got him really far, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you're talking about five NFC championships and some really difficult losses along the way, and, and all of that, right? So, I, I don't, I don't want to put down Donovan McNabb as not special, right? Because I think he's one of those guys who was very good, bordered on special. If he had done a few things a little bit differently in his career, we might be talking about a Hall of Famer. Michael Vick was the, the next quarterback, you know, who's as dynamic as they come, right? But unfortunately, you know, wasted so much of his career on, you know, the dog fighting and, you know, having to go to prison for it. And, you know, things that held him back and distracted him from being as great as he possibly could be. It's kind of a tragic career arc for, for, for Michael Vick. And, and along the way, you know, there's Kevin Cobb, there's A.J. Feely, there's Jeff Garcia. Um, 
you know, all those guys who played their best football under Andy Reid. I mean, he really is a guru. And then you get Alex Smith, who is a, a system quarterback, whose limitations are, are there and you saw it. So, yeah, is Patrick Mahomes the best of them? Yes, clearly. But I, I, would, I would submit this. Andy Reid's done maybe the greatest job ever of picking out quarterbacks and maxing out their ability of anybody in the history of this league. You know, like everybody he's picked has done something, um, you know, maybe not great, but at least good to very good and had their greatest success, again, under Andy Reid um, because he could pick out guys who could play and then make the most out of those guys who could play. Um, Mahomes is just, yeah, I mean, he's scary, good, athletic. I mean, I, I think he's the most complete quarterback to come out of the college ranks since John Elway. Uh, and I went to college with Elway, and I just did a biography of John Elway. And he was considered the statue of David of quarterbacks. I think one day we'll look back and go, Patrick Mahomes is the statue of David of quarterbacks of this generation. And I don't have any problem with what you're saying. Do you have any reason why the line is only three then? Because, um, if, look, betting in the Super Bowl is not like betting in any other game, right? It's not, it, it's not just the pure, the pure, the purest gamblers, right? Who come in and say, okay, I know what this line looks like. And, you know, the Chiefs are clearly the better team in this one. There's mystique that goes to this game. And that's because, you know, you got Brady in it. And so the betting public goes, oh, Brady's in it. We've got to bet on Brady. We've got to do this, which is not necessarily a bad logic, okay, given its record. But because, because the Super Bowl is sort of amateur hour for um, great bettors, sort of like New Year's Eve is amateur hour for people who like to go out and party, um, you get a lot of money that comes in just on feeling. Like, I feel like the Buccaneers can't be stopped. I feel like Brady can't be stopped. Therefore, I'm betting on him, not the pure analytics guys. And the whole point of Vegas Look, the the most important thing that Vegas always wants to do is to make sure there's an equal amount of money bet on both sides because they just want to take the VIG, right? They want to take, you know, the 110. The 110 to win 100, they want the 10. They'll live with the 10. That'll be fine. And so that's where they want the money to go in the Super Bowl. Jason Cole, longtime NFL reporter, joining us right now. What is the future for the Bills? Are they going to be some kind of uh, Cleveland Cavaliers looking at Michael Jordan's Bulls? Like, how are we going to get past these guys? <laughs> I think you can say that about the entire AFC and maybe the entire NFL, right? Um, yeah, because I think that I think that Kansas City, you know, look. Eventually, Tyreek Hill is going to age out. Eventually, Kelsey's going to age out. Mahomes will probably last 10 years. His game will change a little bit. He won't run, run as much. Um, you know, like you can, you can, you know, put, you can see that future, right? Um, but I think that the Chiefs, as long as Reed is there, will understand, look, you got to make sure that you surround the quarterback with a lot of weapons. You saw it this year. They, you know, who'd they take in the draft? The first round pick was on the running back. Now he may not be a great player, but the mentality is the same mentality that the Indianapolis Colts had with Peyton Manning, which is always make sure that that guy, that 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 one of a kind talent, has really special players around him who can make him look better and maximize his value. So, okay, we got Marvin Harrison. We're taking Reggie Wayne. We got, you know, we'll go get Dallas Clark. We'll get, bring in Edger and James. We'll, you know, 
will constantly have guys around him who maximize his pure value. So that's going to be the credo in, with the Chiefs. And I think that, you know, that's going to put them at the top. And certainly over the next three or four years, because I don't see Kelsey or Hill going away for a couple, for two or three years at least. Um, I think that they're going to be hard to knock off. So the Bills and everybody else, the only thing that they can hope for right now is that the Chiefs get really bored and really complacent. And, that, you know, again, I think they showed that this year that there was a certain complacency to how they play most of the season, um, which if they win back-to-back Super Bowls, I would think that that's going to be very difficult for them to win a third one in a row. Um, because of that complacency. That'll allow them to get knocked off next year, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. You think that Aaron Rodgers sort of caught up in the moment of the disappointment, or might possibly this be it? No, I, I, look, I think that he's a contemplative guy. I think he's a, he's a person who is kind of saying, where is his place? What is, you know... I don't think he wants to be like Brett Favre, right? Who Favre was kind of hanging on until the end. Now, I do think that Aaron's going to play next year. I think he's going to play for the Packers. I think he's going to – but in this moment, like, he, he thinks about a lot of other things. Like, that, the fact that he's guest hosting Jeopardy, <laughs> don't take that as just some goofy little thing. I'm not saying that he's going to become the host of Jeopardy and that he's next, the next Alex Trebek. Okay, don't, don't get me – you know, don't take me down that path, right? And I don't mean to take you down that path, but what I'm saying is he has other interests in his life um, and things that he wants to do. I mean, he loves music. He loves, you know, rock music. He's big into it. I think there are other things that he says, sits there and says, you know, maybe I want to do that at some point. And that makes, and when you have losses like this, or you go through a season like this, you kind of think about, okay, maybe there's something else I want to do. And when is that time going to be? Um, and that's what I think his head's at. If I if I read him correctly, and I you know I know Aaron decently well from having talked to him a few times, he just gives off that vibe like a guy who's like you know I'm not only football. Now I love football and I'm great at it, but it's not the only thing that I am. Does Sean Watson getting traded? If he wants to, I mean, really, he controls the whole deal. And, you know, you, so you hear reports that go back and forth, like, what does he really want? Does he want out? Or not? You know, it's a decision he has to make. But if he decides, look, I'm not playing for these guys anymore. Um, I don't trust the owner. I think the owner's a, a foof and doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and, you know, he told me one thing. He did another. You know, there's this goofy, you know, religious advisor pastor guy who's got way too much control over the organization who's in his ear. Like, uh, if, if he looks at this and says, I'm out, and he's out, and they have to go make the best deal that they possibly can, and I think that they're going to get a lot for him, they still won't get what a proven quarterback is worth. But it, it, this is all – Deshaun Watson controls this situation um, almost 100%. Now, they're, they can push him to, to show up and say, you got to pay your money back if you don't. Um, but if he pays the money back and becomes a free agent, <laughs> just imagine the kind of money that he'll make you know, going to somebody else. So yeah, again, he control he controls all the all the moves in this in this uh, in this decision. 
Jason, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for coming on the show again. Anytime, guys. Enjoy. Have a have a good two weeks till Super Bowl. There's Jason Cole, longtime NFL reporter. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, talking jazz, talking win streak, and talking Cougar win streak as well. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined now by... Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, I don't know if you're aware, but Shaquille O'Neal stirred up the state of Utah. Certainly a gazillion jazz fans living in the state of Utah. Talking about Donovan Mitchell, is he a superstar? Is he good enough to uh, get it done in the playoffs? Can he do something other than scoring to help his team win? Now this leads to a 1,000 conversations. And I think there were some assumptions built into what he said that actually are pretty uh, pretty positive about the Jazz, but people don't really hear that and it came when, you know, it's post-game interview and expect some softball question that's nice that leads to a nice easy answer and feel good about the win and instead it was you're not good enough. So of course it went over really poorly. Um, <laughs> so so I don't know where you want to jump in on this on on what this means for the Jazz and and how people hear it and how it impacts team, but anywhere you want to jump in because I literally think I we could not ask you another question. You could talk about this for 20 minutes and finish the segment. Yeah. Um, you know, you know what? I, I was not aware of a lot of that. And, uh, but here, here's the thing for me with, with Donovan Mitchell is that he, he is an elite player. And, uh, you know, we live in a world that is so transparent and that there's a microphone in front of everyone on any given moment on any different topic. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so these types of things, uh, tend to happen more often than not. And, uh, the the world that uh, that NBA players and the NFL and you know all of professional sports uh, with social media as it is and everything everything gets blown out of proportion. For me personally, just in terms of me watching Donovan Mitchell, uh, he he and the Utah Jazz are playing the best basketball they've played in a long, long time. Um, I, I think there's some not not to deflect from Donovan because I think that. Great players make other good players around them, and and I think that his, the commitment from him, from the organization, from the coaching staff, and everything tells us that this is a team that is uh, is better than they've been in a long, long time. Now, mind you, I, I understand there are no fans in arenas. There are uh, the pandemic has been crazy, and uh, half the teams that are underachieving is has more to do with. Uh, the, the pandemic and protocol for COVID, it has nothing to do with basketball. But all of that being said, the Jazz have kind of weathered this well. Donovan Mitchell has been the leader of this team. And, and I think sometimes, and I still consider himself a young player in the league, but 
I think that uh, anybody that is taking this young man for granted or he himself is thinking that they're not where they need to be is wrong. Because I, I, I just, for me personally, as I watch them play, and I don't get to see all the games that, that, that you see up there, but just in watching what I've watched, uh, man, I, I think this is the best they've been in the last four or five years. And, again, you can tell me, okay, the competition hasn't been what it's been or whatever it might be, but I just feel like with Connolly's development, and all of a sudden he has a presence. And, I mean, he's the most improved player, and I think he's, he's better because Donovan Mitchell is there and because Donovan Mitchell attracts a lot of attention. He's going to get open shots. They got the best six man in the in the conference in Jordan Clarkson. Uh, got elite coaching. You know, I mean, you can go on and on. But I think this is a time to enjoy the Jazz. To understand, I mean, l- listen, this is a really good league, and we watch every night where teams that you don't think can win games win or winning games. Because here's the thing: people underestimate the players in the NBA. Some two people are hurt. How could they? You know. How could the Jazz beat this team when somebody wasn't playing or somebody else wasn't playing? Because there's a lot of really good players in this league. And and I think that given an opportunity, which many of them are being given because of the COVID protocol, we're seeing upsets. We're see, we're shaking our heads and saying, oh, how does that happen? How does that team get beat? And, and it's because the players are really good. So uh, I don't know a lot about this whole thing with Donovan Mitchell, but I can just tell you this, that it's the best I've seen this team play. They've got a chance this week to probably uh, win three or four more games. I mean, probably at least three more games. Uh, they could very well be in first place. Uh, they're close right now. So I don't know that anybody was thinking the Jazz would be in first place or second place after 20 games. I mean, we felt like they are a team that is a second-tier team. They're proving that they can be uh, an upper high-level team that has an opportunity to, to play well against everybody. And, and I think the other thing, too, I didn't mention is that Defensively, I think they're better this year than they've been, and, and and not because of Rudy Gobert, but because everybody else is buying into it. So um, I don't I don't know what all the all the commotion is about it, but I really like this team, and everything statistically lends itself to guys that you know I I, I know people were on Connolly bad last year, and uh, but he's playing with confidence. Clarkson's playing with confidence, and. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a team that uh, I don't think you can sleep on. That's for sure. So, how much do you think right now, because they've won seven, eight in a row, is a hot streak, or actually, it's not as much of a hot streak as it is closer to who they really are? Yes, I, I you know I, I like that thought. I like that thought, and, and, and maybe you know this community and uh, you know analysts and everybody else, uh, you know, maybe this team has always believed that this is who they could be. I don't know. I'm not around them every day, and I don't get those kind of insights. But it is. I think it is closer to what everybody – I mean, you start thinking about the, the parity in this team where six or seven or eight guys play well every night. There's, you, you see – I mean, there's an occasion. I mean, this is a tough league. You go on the road. But I think at the end of the day – they kind of you kind of know what you're going to get every night. They're going to give you a great effort, and uh, what happens is there's a maturity taking place right now. We watch these guys kind of grow up. Now, obviously, Conley's an experienced guy, been around. Clarks has been around, but as as we watch this team, it's a nice blend of youth, uh, superstars, 
as well as uh, just a great coaching staff. So uh, there is absolutely no reason. Why would you think any differently as a coaching staff or players? That has to be their mindset. You can't become someone that's really elite unless you believe that is who you are and, and, and back it up with a great work ethic and back it up with, uh, you know, just playing hard every night and competing. And it's not hard to play. It's hard to play hard every night when you're playing, you know, a game and you're playing three games or like this week. They're playing, I think they're playing four games. Uh, they're playing the Knicks, the Mavs twice, and they're at the Nuggets. Four games. I, I don't think the normal fan understands what that takes out of you. And so it requires depth. It requires guys having a sense of maturity and a sense of urgency. And uh, we, we watch really good teams just kind of go through it and have bad losses. The, the Jazz haven't had that this year. I mean, well, you, you know, they did lose to the Knicks on the road, and, and we thought, oh, my, what's happening? But at the end of the day, they, they've proven that. To me, it proves that I don't care if it's the New York Knicks. If you don't come to play, they can beat you because they have pros, and they have guys that can make baskets. It's just the fact they haven't been given an opportunity. So when all of a sudden – Superstars go down, or the leading scorers go down, and people think, well, they, they're going to lose. Hmm, maybe not. Maybe somebody else is going to come off the bench, play inspired, and there's a reason that guy got drafted. That's a reason that he, you know, he's there. So we underestimate. I think fans underestimate how good teams really are, and consequently, we, teams don't get near the credit they should when they went on the road or they get behind. And you know, the Jazz have. They haven't been that much behind in a lot of games. I mean, they've had they've controlled games with uh, having eight and ten and twelve and fifteen point leads, and that's a sign of a good team as well. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty, the zone. The uh, are the Cougars going to be tested? Because I just have this feeling that they are going to be. Uh, on a big win streak when they play Gonzaga at the end of the year. And, and maybe they drop a road game somewhere, and maybe playing Pepperdine twice in five days is kind of a, is kind of a trap, that Pepperdine's good enough. But the way BYU defends, defense goes on the road. And when you're trying to win shootouts on the road, there's a risk. But the way they defend, it seems like the risk is lower. You know, you're spot on with that. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Is that I mean they've got great size and strength and and uh, grit there defensively on rebounding, and uh, I, I think they've found ways that you don't have to score ninety points. And uh, you know it, it's a team. I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and you know you've got three transfers that are fifth year seniors who you know, there's no you know I mean they they're bought in. And when you have leadership like that with Marcello Harms, Everett, you know, I mean, these are guys that have been playing. And and so they come in. Marcello obviously had a role last year, but not like he has this year. But they have depth, and everybody is competing, and they do have them playing at a really high level defensively. So, yes, they can go on the road. They can win with scoring 58 points. Um, and, I, and I think they will be tested in a couple of games. But winning at St. Mary's, winning at USF, mind you again, uh, you know, there's there's no home court, real significant home court advantage, uh, but like there would be if there are fans there. But this isn't really a conference that has a lot of fans in the seat anyway, unless it's Gonzaga, St. Mary's, or BYU. So they're you know, BYU is, has been playing in front of kind of empty arenas anyway. In fact, if anything, it probably hurts BYU because they travel so well and have such a fan base that there's usually you know three, four, five hundred fans when they go on the road. But I, I agree with you. I think defensively they're really, really good. And they have a poster. You know, the one thing offensively about them 
is they just keep coming at you north south and you know with ball screens and with post ups and backdoor cuts and uh they wear teams down and, and they're hard to guard they got they have they have great size but they're they playing with a sense of urgency they have a lot of confidence Harvard is is a guy that people underestimate and just how big and strong he is he's turning into a really really good player and and you know their wings are they're not great but they're solid and they're all six 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 five six seven and you know, we, we know what the, like a young man like Caleb Lohner, we know what his upside is, he's, but he's still a freshman. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, uh, they have the pieces. And uh, when you go win on the road, I mean, they, they've had, I mean, Utah State, San Diego State, St. Mary's, USF, all road wins against really well-coached teams. So, yeah, I, I do believe they can win on the road. And I do believe they can put a streak together because they do defend. And like you said, they, 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 you know, defense travels, man. You, that's that's how you win on the road is your guard and your rebound and stay games close. And they're they're a pretty high IQ team. They don't really make a lot of mistakes. And uh, and and certainly Barcelo's a guy that is just an, an elite competitor. And so, yeah, I, I think uh, they're not they're not Gonzaga, okay? <laughs> but uh, they're a really good basketball team. I think they go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, as long as they stay healthy and, you know, the uh, unknown happens. But I, I, I like this team because of the of the things that they do that aren't as flashy this year. You know, last year they had three pretty elite players, Haas, Childs, and Toulson. They shot it well. Uh, this year they're doing it differently, but with, with really, you know, a, a sense of purpose defensively and rebounding the ball. So we speak of rebounding. I, I think I'm a little disappointed in Harms ability or inability to rebound, you know, seven three, so there's gonna be high expectations. But I am massively impressed and I can't state it enough, with Loner's ability to rebound. This kid for his height is a rebounding machine. What makes that so? You know, his timing, he's he's really explosive. You know, you look at him, and, and uh, he's kind of a thick kid, so you wonder how bouncy he is. But now he's really bouncy, and he's really strong, and he's got a lot of girth to him. But he has the agility to, to you know, yeah. I mean, he, he, his ceiling is is really high. And um, you know, you look at guys, young guys, and you know, he's not scoring. Maybe like maybe people thought he would. They don't need him to score. They need him to do just what you're talking about. That they they need him to rebound. And I think his ability. You know, good good rebounders. You know, they're they're going to the ball all the time. They don't stand. They, you know, it's hard to block him out. He's moving. You know, he's doing everything he can. And I think right now he's accepted that role. They they don't. You know, it'd be great if he was knocking threes down and everything. But he's a pretty mature young man that understands that for them to win. You know, if he has six, seven, eight rebounds a game, he can. And he's getting better defensively. But he's got a girth and an athleticism about him that's really bouncy. And it just has a knack for it. I mean, and not everybody has that. And, and Howard, you know, being a big guy as well. And I think the other thing, when you have a seven four, seven five, however tall Harvard is, and you've got, uh, you know, a six eleven, seven foot Harvard, you know, guys spend a lot of attention trying to, you know, keep those guys off the boards. Loner has the freedom to just go crash it and go. And so, because there is the other bigs uh, bring a lot of attention and take up a lot of space. Whereas Caleb, Caleb has a – he just got an explosiveness to him. His lift is, is quick and explosive. And you can see it at times even offensively. But he's just 
right now he, he's too quick offensively. He needs to slow down. And then he, you know, by the end of this year, he, he could be a guy that could count on for 10, 12, 13 points a game as well as he gets more confident. But uh, I agree. I agree. I mean, he, he and Harvard are, are both guys are just aggressive. That's the, the mindset of this team is they really have aggressive uh, and they're able to sustain it. You know, they, 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 they play hard and they, they still, you know, they make mistakes. They're not necessarily pretty to watch offensively, but who cares? I mean, at, at times they struggle offensively, but they make it up at the other end. And, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, they're not 34% three-point shooting. It's, it's good enough. It's good enough. And, you know, I think they're close to 40 rebounds a game. So, yeah, I love Caleb Loner. And I, I, I think we're all going to really, a couple years from now, realize how good he really is and, and uh, what his ceiling is. So, in the gazillion years since I played high school basketball at a freakishly mediocre level, Steve, nothing has changed. Even the three-point shot, I don't think it's been as surprising a change as rebounding. You watch an NBA game now, and only one guy is allowed to go get an offensive rebound. The other four have to get back. And the way they get back just tells you, Watching multiple coaches on multiple teams have threatened guys. If you don't get back, you're coming out of the game because they get back with a purpose. They are not getting beat on the break, and they will concede the offensive rebound. Now in college, there's still a little bit of a battle for rebounding, so a guy like Loner can really show his stuff. But there's there's a lot of uncontested rebounds in NBA games. Have you adapted to that, or does that still I don't know bug you when you watch a game once in a while? You know what it is. I mean, I'm, I watch NBA games, and I watch quite a bit of the NBA. And uh, it's hard enough to guard these guys. Uh, you know, when it's one on one, and you got a hand in their face. <laughs> and uh, but you, you have no chance of guarding them when there's a three on two or a three on one break, and you're not going to stop them. And I remember as a as a college coach, you know, when we played really elite teams that could push the ball and score, you know, we'd send four back all the time. I mean, it was like, you know, we're going to go four back. We cannot give this team transition baskets because once they start getting those, you know what that does? It impacts their confidence. And so all of a sudden, I mean, I remember as a player, you know, in, in a game, I wanted to get to the free throw line early. I wanted to get a layup early. All of a sudden that basket seemed like it was four feet wide when I did that. When my first, you know, three or four shots with threes, and uh, or long twos, it was one of the because I wasn't playing with during the threes. But even in college, it was one of those things that I, I scored better. And so the coaches know this; they know that you don't want to let a team get their confidence by not getting back. And so I, I remember when we felt like this was a big part of what they were doing. And let's face it, most NBA teams, every team. <laughs> They, they don't have to have superstars. I mean, at every level, every team has people that can push it, finish around the rim. And when there's two-on-ones and three-on-ones, you got no chance. College, once in a while, high school, you know, you, you can get away with that, but not at this level. And so and what you don't want to do is give teams confidence early in the game. If anything, early on, we, we would like, start four back have, and, and just take everything away and make them earn it in the half court. And then as the game went on, and, uh, you know, things were – we had things under control with maybe just three back and sent two to the class. But, uh, no, you notice that a lot, and there's a reason. I mean, it's – you just can't afford to get teams get into a confident role. And, I mean, we're watching – you know, I was watching the uh, – the Cle- Cle- I watched that Cleveland-Brooklyn game. 
and I don't know what time of the day it was or what it was. And I, and I sat there and watched Cleveland, who, who has really good pros, and Sexton went for about 40 that night, 40 some that night. But I'm thinking to myself, here we got these guys, you know, you, you've got Brooklyn loaded. How, how, how are these guys playing with them? How do they beat them twice in a week? Because they have really good players that just a lot of people haven't heard of or the media doesn't spend a lot of attention to. And if you don't guard them and if you don't give back, you're going to get beat by them. And that's the thing I've taken from the NBA more than anything because I did not watch the NBA a lot when I was a college coach. But now it's kind of what I would do watch. And I watch – I mean, I'll, I'll watch teams and coaches I know that, you know, that I know in the business. But most of the basketball I watch is the NBA. And I'm not an analytical guy or anything. I mean, I just watch it because I enjoy it. And, uh, and it's fun to see what people are doing at that level and how things change. But, yeah, I, the last thing you want to do is, is give teams confidence. And, coach, you know, every coach knows that. And the best way is to not get back on defense. So I don't think that's going to change. Talent's just too good, too strong. And you got to make them shoot over you and through you. And let's face it, the really elite guys do. And they're doing it from 27, 28 feet, hand contested, boom, down. We, we take that for granted, to be honest with you, as fans. We, we take for granted what they're doing with uh, the, you know, the, the types of shots that are being made with contested hands you know, from 28, 29 feet. Uh, the, the league has changed in that way. I mean, it's, it, 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 that's why I think it's so entertaining and fun to watch. Steve, we appreciate the time. Good to talk as always, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Take care. Have a great week. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. The Aggies played last night. The Jazz play tonight. We'll get to the night in the NBA next. Stay with us.